0: Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. Um, I have a question first. Does anybody in the room suffer from order envy? Is it really just me? No one else in the room, just me? Or anyone else in the room get order envy? Or do you... A few people, thank you. I feel better. Okay, so for those of you who aren't familiar with the term order envy, you know when you you go to a restaurant or a cafe and you painstakingly read through the menu and you choose the dish that you think is going to satisfy you and then it comes out and it's not what you expected. Yes, so maybe a few more people now can relate. So I am particularly susceptible to order envy. But I think the root cause is actually running to a deeper issue. Because for me, the underlying problem that leads to my order envy is the issue of menu stress. You know, when you read the menu and there's three or four dishes and they all look really good and you just can't decide between them and the server's at the table and they're waiting for you to order. So you say, you know, everybody else order first because then I'll decide what I want to order. And then you're really stressed because what if you choose wrongly and the rest of your days are marked by the time that you ordered eggs, Benedict's when you should have had the corn fritters. It is a terribly distressing turn of events. And what is even worse is if the person next to you or the person at the next table, they order your runner-up dish and that dish comes out and it was better than your dish, and the rest of your days are marked by the time you ordered the wrong meal. Trust me, I am actually going somewhere with this anecdote. Now, if you ever come out for a meal with us, you'll probably witness my menu stress, which is unusual because in the rest of life, I'm actually an incredibly decisive person. For example, I never had any hesitation about whether marrying Andrew was the right decision. Look at those kids up there. (laughs) So Andrew and I have been married for just over 12 years now. I was digging through some old documents recently and I, I came across our order of service from our wedding back in 2011 and you can see the front page of it there. Unlike my ability to order from a menu, when it came to planning our wedding, anyone who was there will tell you that I was incredibly decisive, that I knew exactly what I wanted. And one thing that Andrew and I both agreed on was that we wanted this Bible verse to feature in our wedding. And it has actually taken me the 12 years to realise there's a typo on the order of service. And it was actually Joshua 24, 15, not verse 5, that says that as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. You see, on a day where Andrew and I made a commitment to love each other for better or worse till death do we part, we also committed in front of our friends and family that we would serve God in our marriage we made a vow that no matter what was happening in the world, our family was committed to serving God. And 12 years on, while we don't always get it right, we are still holding on to that vow. Aren't we blessed that God gives us human relationships to give us little bite-sized tastes of his heart for us? You know, he gives us marriage to show us his passionate, intimate and exclusive love. He gives us friendships to show us his patient love, his inclusive love, and the companionship that he would share with us. He gives us parents to teach us about his unconditional, tender, and affirming love. Now, no one of these human relationships could ever fully summarize God's heart for us, but they all give us a glimpse. And as the fallen, broken individuals that we are, we don't always reflect the heart of God in how we love those around us. But when we see these relationships in their purest, their most selfless forms, we get a little taste of God's heart for us. And for those here who are not married or those who have strained relationships with their parents or with their friends, you are not excluded in this moment. Marriage is not the end goal having or becoming perfect parents is not the end goal you know we can sometimes think of relationship status like climbing a mountain and we can put certain relationship status or certain life circumstance on a pedestal as though that is the top of the mountain can I say very clearly here that marriage is not the top of the mountain and relationship status in its human form is not the top of the mountain because the top of the mountain is relationship with God Human relationships in their purest forms are a gift from God. They are given to encourage us, to build us, and to give us just a small taste of relationship with God and what his heart is for us. But the end goal of relationship is not found in human relationships. The end goal of attainment is found in unhindered relationship with God. The world might tell me that I need a certain category of relationship to feel fulfilled, but as for me, I will seek a relationship with my God for my fulfilment, for my contentment and for my joy. Now, I'd like to focus on that phrase, but as for me, just a little bit more. You might remember the story in Exodus where God uses Moses to lead the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt and then they spend 40 years in the desert before they finally enter the promised land and truly establish themselves as a nation. Well it was Joshua who succeeded Moses and led the Israelites under the guidance of God as they entered the promised land. At the start of Joshua's ministry, God promises to be with him and he calls him to be strong and courageous, which Joshua needs to be because the Israelites have to overcome a lot of opposition in the process of establishing themselves. But God continually grants them victory as they continue to serve him. And at the end of the book of Joshua, God gives an account of all he has done and what he requires in return. He has just granted the Israelites great victory and brought them into the promised land. And in return, they are instructed to fear the Lord and to serve him with all faithfulness to throw away all idols and all gods of other nations and their covenant with God is renewed at a place called Shechem and sealed with a large stone and Joshua makes this statement to the Israelites now remember the Israelites are called to be a nation that is set apart from those around them a nation that is marked by devotion and obedience to God while the nations around them are living with idolatry oppression of the poor and evil practice the Israelites are called to higher living and through them the whole world will be blessed And Joshua says to them in this verse in chapter 24, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day who you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And verse 31 goes on to say that Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua. Joshua was true to the calling at the start of his life, and he stayed true to the end. Now at this point, many of you may be wondering, Phoebe, what on earth does this have to do with your menu stress, or did you really need to get that off your chest today? Are you ready? Unlike me, Andrew doesn't suffer from menu stress. Andrew has a special gift of menu certainty. Andrew can sit down at a cafe, he can look at the menu and decide what he wants to order. And then he can quite calmly sit with his decision in absolute certainty. It doesn't matter what the other people at the table are ordering. It doesn't matter if he sees another dish coming out that looks amazing. He makes his decision and he sticks with it. You see, I'm not like Andrew. I don't have menu certainty. I get menu stress. And it essentially comes down to the fact that I don't have conviction surrounding my menu choice. And I fall into the comparison trap, you know, I start looking side to side, peering over at the next table table to see what everyone else has, and then the menu stress kicks in because what if I ordered the wrong dish because what they have was better? Now, when it comes to ordering off a menu, I don't see this as particularly problematic as long as it's confined to ordering off a menu, but imagine if I started living my whole life that way when it comes to ordering, Andrew doesn't fall into the comparison trap. He has conviction in his choice. It's almost like he says, choose this day what you will order, but as for me, I will order the corn fritters. Now, across the various English translations of the Bible, the phrase, but as for me, is used 46 times to declare a commitment to a cause or a pledge. It is an expression that is used to convey a message that I will be led by my God-given conviction, not by peer pressure, not by the culture around me, not by a desire to be liked. But as for me means not looking to what others are doing to guide your decision-making, but only looking to God. But as for me is like Andrew with his menu certainty and not like me with my menu stress. Will we decide this day how we will live and who we will serve? Well, we stick to our decision with conviction. Because when we say that, when we have a but-as-for-me kind of attitude to our life, it can become an anthem in our lives. And it becomes a declaration of an unshakable intention. Now, not unshakable because we are unshakable. Rather, it is unshakable because God is unshakable. As Romans 8, 26 tells us, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. God says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. But as for me, it says that we are more than conquerors, not because we are able, but because he is able and he equips us. He strengthens us. But as for me can become a battle cry that we declare whatever season we may be facing. But as for me in a season of hardship, Jesus tells us in John 16.33 that here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. But as for me says that I will take Jesus at his word, that even when my life seems like a mess, when I don't know where God is in the midst of my pain, when I can't comprehend my grief that I will take heart and hold on to the knowledge that Jesus has overcome pain and suffering in this world and is preparing a place for me in glory. Psalm 31:14. But as for me, I trust in you, O Lord, I say you are my God. Psalm 55:16. As for me, I call to God and the Lord saves me. And verse 23, but as for me, I trust in you. Psalm 71:14. But as for me, I will wait and hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. The writer of these Psalms is King David, and in these same passages, he writes that his heart is anguished, that he is overwhelmed with fear, but he still clings to God. But as for me, means we make a choice to keep trusting in God. Now, it doesn't mean we'll never feel fear again, but we cling to God. In the book of Job, Job lost everything and everyone he loves. Everything short of his life has been stripped away from him, he is left destitute. Then his friends scorn him and tell him that it's happened because of his unrepented sin. Now, it is usually neither helpful or true to tell someone that their hardship is because of unrepented sin. Let's not be like Job's friends, okay? But Job can't understand it. He is crushed. He cries out in anguish. He wrestles with God. But even in the midst, he holds on to his faith and his hope and he longs to see God's face. And in Job 19, what is Job's response? But as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives and he will stand upon the earth at last. Because, but as for me, means that no matter the circumstances, I will choose to trust that my heavenly Father works all things for the good of those who love him. What about, but as for me, when temptation strikes? Now, temptation looks different to different people. For some, temptation is about the choices we make when it comes to the food we put in our body and making decisions that lead to health. For some, uh, temptation is about the conversations we allow ourselves to be a part of, and we can try as we might to justify ourselves, but deep in our core we know that it's slander and we know that it's gossip. For some, temptation comes in the form of our internet search history and what we look at when no one is watching. Temptation looks different to all of us but you can be sure that we will all face temptation. Psalm 17:15 As for me I will be vindicated and will see your face. When I awake I will be satisfied with seeing your likeness. When temptation strikes my sinful nature says that I need to gratify my flesh to be satisfied. But as for me says, no, I will be satisfied when I see the face of God. Yeah. This means that when we're craving satisfaction from impure and unhealthy places, we can look upon the face of God. And the more we look at the face of God, the more he will satisfy us. Psalm 26, But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity, redeem me and be gracious to me. When it seems that everyone else is taking moral shortcuts and stepping on heads to get ahead and you're missing out for doing the right thing, It can be tempting to follow the way of the world. But as for me, says that God will vindicate you for keeping your integrity. But as for me, says that when temptation is upon me, I will cling to God. Because I know that in my own strength, I'm subject to temptation. In my own strength, I will fall. I will stumble and I will falter. But I'm not living in my own strength. To quote Craig Rochelle, the spirit that is in me is stronger than the wrong desires in me. So when temptation strikes, we can stand on our but-as-for-me statement. Because but-as-for-me, God has called me to better than this. But as for me, God has strengthened me and equipped me to make choices that protect and not damage my relationships. But as for me, through the Holy Spirit living within me, when temptation strikes, I will flee that temptation by running straight to the throne room of God. And as I gaze on his face, the desire to please him will outweigh the desire to please my flesh. What about, but as for me, I will seek the opinion of God over the opinions of man. This means that I will care more about what God thinks than what people think. And all my striving for human approval, all my attempts to present a falsely elevated image of myself to the world will fall away and diminish into nothingness in light of the glory of God. All my attempts to make myself feel important by having more money, nicer clothes, better car will become nothing to me. All my need to make myself feel more important by putting other people down will fall away as I start to see people through the eyes of the Father. 1 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. As for me, it matters very little how I might be evaluated by you or by any human authority. I don't even trust my own judgment at this point. It is the Lord who judges me. Galatians 6.14, As for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified, and the world's interest in me has also died. But as for me, means that the only opinion that matters is God's opinion of us. It means that we don't need to make ourselves feel important in the world's eyes because but as for me means that at the same time we are simultaneously more important than we could ever strive to be and at the same time less important than we could ever puff ourselves up to be our father thinks that you are so important of such value that he sent his only son to redeem you to make you whole and to mark you as treasured but at the same time God places that value on every single one of his children and if we can see our fellow man through his eyes how could we ever think of ourselves as more important but as for me means that when we see our God and saviour's face we will spend the rest of our lives looking only to his pleasure but as for me I will not conform to the pattern of the world our lives are very noisy right Just last year Frontiers in Psychology wrote a review on the impacts of our digitalised society and the information age we live in. What they confirmed was uh, what a lot of all of us know already on an all too personal level. Information overload leads to stress, burnout and lower productivity. We are so bombarded with information that we can't process efficiently without distraction, without stress or without error. The world would tell us we need to keep up with this ever-increasing pace of life to strive harder to be better, to have more. Our lives are so busy that we struggle to hear ourselves think, let alone listen to that still small voice of our Heavenly Father. But Jesus says in Matthew 11, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. But as for me, it means we will combat these cultural norms. Psalm 59, 16, But as for me, I will sing about your power. Each morning I will sing with joy about your unfailing love, for you have been my refuge, a place of safety when I am in distress. But as for me, it means I will start each day with my Father. I will praise Him. I will read His advice to me found in His Word. I will listen to the wisdom He would instill in me. When my alarm goes off, instead of reaching for my news feed or my social media feed or maybe even my coffee feed, instead I will reach for my Lord and my Saviour. Instead of allowing his voice to be drowned out by the noise of the world, I will focus on his voice until it becomes the loudest voice in my life. And starting each day listening to the Lord builds a habit, which over a lifetime builds a life. Now, for all the gym junkies out there, good job. I'm not trying to diminish the importance of regular exercise. Back when I was at uni, I actually got a bit gym obsessed myself. I'm talking really obsessed at this point. I even left an exam early because I didn't want to miss my gym class. For the record, I had finished the exam. Sorry, mum. But exercise was a big priority for me in that season of life. And by all means, exercise is a valuable thing and important for health. But one day, God challenged me with a very simple question. Am I investing as much in my spiritual fitness as I am in my physical fitness? Am I investing as much in my spiritual fitness as I am in my physical fitness? Look at your life and look at the things that take up that, your day, can I ask you that question? Am I investing as much in my spiritual security as I am in my financial security? Am I investing as much in my relationship with God as I am in finding human relationship? Is my prayer regime as comprehensive as my skincare regime? But as for me means I will prioritise my spiritual health and prioritise my relationship with God, even if it means making some sacrifices on my end. Because but as for me is a declaration of a commitment to a lifelong pledge that we will love and follow Jesus all the days of our life, no matter what those around us are doing. In 1947, on her 21st birthday, the then Princess Elizabeth made a speech that would become synonymous with a life of devotion and commitment. In the speech she said, "I declare you, I declare before you all that my whole life, whether it be long or short, shall be devoted to your service." Now, no matter how you feel about the monarchy, you can't deny that she held true to that statement. Queen Elizabeth served as queen for 70 years, the longest reigning British monarch in history until her death at the age of 96. She wasn't perfect, she made plenty of errors and there were some low points in her reign but at her death people grieved the loss of a very great lady whose life was marked by steadfastness, service and duty and you cannot deny that she held true to the vow that she made on her 21st birthday. When Paul wrote the book of 2 Timothy, he was in prison. He was at the end of his life, reflecting on his years in ministry. And he wrote these words in chapter 4. As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Like Joshua, Paul stayed true to the calling on his life until the very end. And the challenge that Joshua issues to the Israelites is not just something for the history books. The Israelites were surrounded by external influences that would draw them away from their devotion to God, just like us today. They had been immersed in and were surrounded by cultures that didn't follow the one true God, just like us today. They had a smorgasbord of spiritual menu options thrust before them, just like us today. And just as Joshua put the invitation to the Israelites, so the invitation is put to each one of us. Choose this day who you will serve, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Because, but as for me doesn't mean we never mess up. But as for me doesn't mean that we're perfect, because if we were perfect, we wouldn't need grace and the whole gospel message would become null and void. But... But as for me means that we keep pressing on. But as for me is a commitment that no matter how many times we fall down, we get up and we keep going. Philippians 3, 13 and 14. I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Now, my youngest son's name is Quinn Raymond. His middle name Raymond is after my grandfather, Raymond Henry Moore. Ray Moore lived a, but as for me, kind of life. He led a reasonably quiet life, but he left a huge legacy. And at his funeral, one of his friends shared how, as a young man, Ray Moore would always have this ability to steer a conversation upwards. When men were gathered, if the conversation ever started to descend into unwholesome territory, he had a way to gently and subtly guide it back to life-giving conversation. Ray Moore lost his wife, the love of his life in 1988, just a few months before I was born. I remember as a child growing up, he, him telling me how he could have spiraled into depression and bitterness, but God pulled him out of that space. You see, he had made a vow, but as for me, I will continue to serve my Lord and Savior all the days of my life. And he spent the rest of his days sowing into both his biological family, but also his greater church family, teaching the word of God and praying. He touched countless lives around him and he left a legacy of a biological and church family that loves and serves God, and that's been passed down through generations. It was a legacy he had received from his own parents. Now, he could have squandered that legacy, but he was faithful with it. He grew it and he passed it on to his children, who in turn passed it on to their children. It was a legacy of a, but as for me, kind of life. Now, some of you might say at this point, Phoebe, that's easy enough for you to say, but I wasn't so lucky to have such a legacy passed down to me. It is never too late to start a legacy because Abraham was 75 years old when God called him. Jonah had run away from God and was languishing in the belly of the whale when he prayed this prayer in chapter 2 verse 9 but as for me I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving I will fulfill what I have vowed salvation belongs to the Lord he was at literal rock bottom and from a place of disobedience he repented and then he was given a fresh start and a chance to make it right Draw a line in the sand today and start a legacy for your own family. A legacy of a but-as-for-me kind of life. A life of conviction. A life of single-minded purpose. A life of unashamed devotion to our Lord and Saviour. Choose this day who you will serve. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord.